When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, before I ever started Tenant, I grew corals commercially. Most of you know this. I've probably talked about it a billion times. You don't even want to hear it anymore, but it's relevant to this. As a coral farmer, you're completely attuned to the needs of the organisms that you're growing, both uh, from an environmental and an ecological standpoint. And before that, I was simply a reefer, a hobbyist who was obsessed with keeping reef aquariums. Now, for the first 25 years or so of the reef aquarium hobby, it was all about literally creating a miniature reef with life at many levels ranging from invertebrates to corals and of course fishes. Techniques, approaches, and gear were developed to foster the development of the overall captive reef environment. We incorporated what we called live rock, which is calcareous reef rock, which has been colonized by all sorts of organisms ranging from bacteria to macroalgae to sponges, etc. into the literal foundation of our reef tanks. The rock was a biodiversity catalyst, a physical structure, and yeah, a filter of sorts. Denitrification was thought to occur in deep layers of aragonitic sand, so three-inch to five-inch sand beds were found in almost every aquarium at the time. Procedures and practices revolved around developing appropriate fauna to help maintain these sand beds. The typical reef aquarium of the early 2000s was really a diverse assemblage of all sorts of life, and reefs became a lot easier to maintain. Now, as the hobby evolved, greater attention was paid to the corals themselves, acquiring, studying, and propagating them. Suddenly, the ecology part of a reef aquarium fell to sort of a supporting role, with the corals spending their time, attention, and money on equipment to provide for the needs of the corals above almost everything else. Sand beds and lots of live rock were seen as less important than mineral supplementation and technical filtration. The high-diversity reef tanks of the 2000s early 2000s, that is, gave way to a more coral-focused aquariums uh, approach. It was all about bare bottoms, minimal rock, and lots of mineral supplementation. We discovered that flow was as important, if not more so, than light so for corals. So sand was removed because it blew all over the place under the power of all these new pumps that we used. Incredible technological advances occurred in pump, lighting, and other life support equipment, resulting in some amazing gear. And as a result, corals flourished. Yet because of environmental restrictions imposed by many countries, the importation of live rock was extremely limited, if at all. We began to utilize alternative materials, such as man-made or mined rock, to create our reef structures. It was necessary, and it was a responsible, you know, responsible response, but it sounds funny, to the limitations that we had. There was a certain obsession that arose about limiting nutrients to the aquarium, save those that the corals needed. Corals became almost easy to keep and grow for everybody. It was the start of a fantastic new era in reef aquariums. Yet, something was amiss. You started hearing more and more about what people call the uglies, a colloquialism, a colloquialism, boy did I butcher that, for the phase that a reef tank goes through as it establishes itself ecologically. A phase where algae, biofilms, and in some cases, dinoflagellates 
flourished in the absence of competition, a time when cloudy water and bacterial blooms were a regular occurrence. We didn't have these issues, at least not to such an extent, during the early 2000s when ecodiversity and creation of a microbiome were at the forefront of what we did. It's been that way for a while now. Bare-bottom aquariums and inert artificial rock, as environmentally responsible as they are, create a big challenge in creating a stable reef aquarium for a lot of people. Fortunately, we're kind of figuring it out and approaches are being modified to incorporate the development of ecodiversity in our tanks using artificial rock. Aquacultured rock's becoming more prevalent and sand is sort of making a comeback. But look, I'm, I, it's all well and good. I'm not making you know this long-winded uh, historical review of the last two decades of reef keeping just to show you how much I know. I'm talking about this stuff to illustrate the challenges that can arise when we eschew ecology in the establishment of our aquariums. It's a, no coincidence that the Botanical Method Aquarium is a microcosm, which depends on botanical materials to foster the ecology and impar, impact the environment that we create. The microcosm consists of a myriad of you know, life forms at all levels and sizes, you know, ranging from small crustaceans and worms to back, you know, bacteria, microorganisms, blah, 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 blah. These little guys, the bacteria and the paramecium and stuff like that, they comprise what is known as the microbiome of our aquariums. And a microbiome, by definition, I think I've went over this so many times, you probably don't want to hear it, but it's basically a community of microorganisms that inhabit a particular environment. Now, sure, every aquarium has a microbiome to a certain extent. We have the beneficial bacteria, which facilitate the nitrogen cycle and play an indispensable role in the you know, function of our little worlds. The botanical method aquarium is no different. In fact, this is where I start, you know, kind of speculating and wondering if my uh, knowledge is what it is. And you get into more complex aspects of aquatic ecology in aquariums. But it's important to at least understand this concept as it can relate to aquariums. It's well worth doing a bit of research and pondering. It'll educate you, challenge you, and make you a better overall aquarist. In this little podcast, I can't possibly cover every aspect of this stuff, but we can touch on a few broad points that are really fascinating and, yes, impactful. So much of this process and our understanding starts with botanicals. With botanicals breaking down in an aquarium as a result of the growth of fungi and microorganisms, I can't help but wonder if they perform, to some extent, a role in the management or the enhancement of the nitrogen cycle. Yeah, you understand the nitrogen cycle, right? How do botanical you know, materials impact this process? Or more specifically, how do the microorganisms that they serve, how do those impact it? In other words, does having a bunch of leaves and other botanical materials at the aquarium, uh, you know, throughout the aquarium, does that foster a larger population of these valuable organisms capable of processing organics, thus creating a more stable, robust biological filtration capacity in the aquarium? I believe that they do. With the matrix of material, Present do bacteria and their biofilms, as we've discussed forever here, have not only a substrate upon which to attach and colonize, but an onboard food source which they can utilize as needed. Hmm. Facultative bacteria, adaptive organisms, which can use either dissolved or oxygen, uh, dissolved oxygen or oxygen obtained from food materials like sulfate or nitrate ions, would also be capable of switching to fermentation or anaerobic respiration if oxygen is absent hmm, fermentation i mean okay we're all over the place that's literally another topic for another time but let's focus on some of the other more practical aspects of this whole biome thing like food production for our fishes in the case of our favorite you know aquatic habitats like streams ponds flooded forests stuff like that 
epiphytes like biofilm and fungal mat material are abundant and many fishes will spend large amounts of their time foraging the bio cover on tree trunks branches leaves and other botanical materials that are submerged the bio cover consists of stuff like algae biofilms and fungi it provides sustenance for a large number of fishes of all types and of course what happens in nature also happens in the aquarium if we allow it to and it can you know and i'm wondering can it function the same way yeah it can I firmly believe that a botanical method aquarium complete with its decomposing leaves and seed pods can serve as a sort of buffet for many fishes, even those whose primary food sources are known to be things like insects, worms, and other stuff. Detritus and the microorganisms within it can provide an excellent supplemental food for our fishes. It's a very interesting concept, a fascinating field for research for aquarists, and we all have the opportunity to participate in this and do this every day. And facilitating this process is ridiculously easy. Just approach building an aquarium as if you're creating a biome. Foster the growth and development of a community of organisms at all levels. Allow these organisms to grow and multiply. And don't edit the you know, growth of biofilms, fungal growths, and detritus. We need to make some mental shifts, always. These mental shifts require us to embrace these steps and the occurrences which happen as a result. Understanding that the botanicals and the leaves which we add to our aquariums are not aquascaping set pieces but rather their biological facilitators for the closed ecosystems we're creating is a fundamental thing these materials are being utilized and assimilated by the organisms which comprise the biome of our aquarium therefore they're transient they're ephemeral actually not permanent and by accepting and embracing these changes and the little evolutions we're helping to create really great functional representations of the compelling wild aquatic ecosystems that we all love so much. Leaf litter beds in particular tend to evolve the most as leaves are probably among the most ephemeral or transient of botanical materials that we use in our aquariums. This is true in nature as well as materials break down or are moved by currents. The structural dynamics of the underwater features change. If you haven't surmised by now, I'm a huge fan of creating a microcosm within our aquariums, at least to the greatest extent possible. I favor utilizing natural botanical materials and compositionally rich substrates to foster the ecology within our tanks. That ecology is everything from, you know, paramecium to fungal growth, small crustaceans, and just about everything in between. My aquariums are ecologically rich, highly diverse miniature ecosystems. They're intended from the start to be this way. And I've talked about that many, many times. So this is not rocket science. And of course, the sequence or process which we employ to get there is pretty important and really, really simple. When I set up a brand new botanical method aquarium, my process is really nothing crazy. Number one, add substrate material. Number two, add wood if you're using it. Number three, add botanicals, all of them all at once after preparation. And four, inoculate with a culture of bacteria or other organisms or add a bit of material, you know, decomposing leaves or botanicals from a healthy established tank and just let this stuff bloom seriously complex stuff i know but fucking blew you away right <laughs> likely not but hey it's just not really that exotic a procedure that's really about all there is to the actual physical setup process of a botanical method aquarium the real part where the rubber meets the road is the period after the setup when you let it be a jumping off stage where our initial work is done and nature takes over, breaking down the botanicals, allowing a little patina of bio cover and biofilm to cover some of the surfaces, you know, which takes away that crisp, harsh kind of new feeling. This is where 
I guess Amano's concept of embracing the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi takes over, accepting the transient nature of things and enjoying the beauty of the changes that occur over time. And of course, once stuff starts softening or breaking down, it doesn't mean that your job is done or that you're just an observer from that point on. No, no, no. It means that you're now in a kind of a cool phase of actively managing. And by managing, I'm emphasizing observation probably more than intervening with the aquarium. Sure, when you embrace this mindset, you're making minor tweaks as necessary to keep your aquarium healthy and moving in the right direction, aesthetically, functionally, and otherwise, that you want it to. Yet at some point early in the process, you'll likely find yourself just letting go and allowing the tank to do what nature intends it to do on its evolutionary path. The key here is that the process takes some time. It can't be rushed. We can, of course, assist a little bit by adding some bacterial cultures or cultures of other microorganisms like paramecium or small organisms like Daphnia or whatever. It's a classic way to go in many different types of aquariums. It's not unique to ours, and it's every bit as effective in botanical method tanks as it is in any other. It won't help you evade the process, though, by which nature recruits organisms to develop a microbiome. However, it will certainly start the process a little bit more quickly. Again, it's not a shortcut or a hack. It's just a way to do it right, a procedure, a best practice, if you will. And I think that's okay. We understand this. And when we accept that, that's good. The bottom line is that you need to take time and go slowly. Your aquarium will evolve over time regardless of the steps you take or don't take to expedite the process. Going slowly or at least not doing stuff with the expectation that you'll get to some perceived destination quickly is a really great approach. I'm not in the habit of quoting myself. However, on occasion, uh, I something like this little gem that I found from way back in 2016 rings just as true today as it did back then. And I read, I quote, this is brilliant. This guy sounds good. <laughs> Regardless of how you employ the botanicals, I cannot stress enough the need to go slowly. There's no need to rush and dump everything in at one time or in huge quantities, particularly in an established aquarium where your animals are used to a certain stable range of parameters. It goes without saying that if you're introducing materials which can influence water chemistry and quality, you will need to go slowly and exercise common sense. And since botanicals are actively breaking down in your aquarium over their service lifetimes, it's important to employ good husbandry techniques, monitoring of water quality, water exchanges, regular filter media changes, etc. Eh, just some words to the wise, right? Pretty Not bad. That filming guy kind of knows what he's talking about in this area, at least. Well, some of you might think that, I hope. <laughs> I believe that this whole idea of embracing some of the things that we feared, like having all that fungal growth on new wood and leaves and stuff like that, and understanding that the turbidity and the cloudy water and accepting the fact that things will evolve past the early, perhaps unsettling aesthetics is okay. Pushing through the earliest phases of a botanical method aquarium is part of the game. When you think through the ideas of how these early impacts are mostly aesthetic and not harmful to your aquarium, you start to realize that the looks of this stuff, to, to many hobbyists at least, uh, are actually more awful than any perceived possible detriments that they bring. And most important, you'll discover that by editing out or trying to remove it from your tank, that's actually doing damage to a burgeoning ecosystem before it ever even gets off the ground. Don't panic. Do some research and learn about natural you know, how natural aquatic ecosystems function. Once you do that, something just clicks and you'll understand. It all makes sense when you get out of, get it out of your head that you're just trying to go after some sort of aesthetic rather than trying to nurture the development of a miniature ecosystem within your aquarium. It makes a huge difference. I think we're starting to see 
a new emergence of a more holistic approach to aquarium keeping, a realization that we've done, you know, amazing things so far, keeping fishes and plants and all that stuff, but that there's room to experiment and push the boundaries even further by understanding and applying our knowledge of what happens in the real natural aquatic environment. You, every one of you, is making mental shifts, replicating nature in our aquariums by achieving a greater understanding of nature. And it all starts by placing ecology first. Stay diligent, stay observant, stay curious, stay focused, stay patient, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tanan Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.